American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about James Braddock, the boxer who is more commonly known as Cinderella Man. There aren't many people who start out dirt poor and who eventually are portrayed by Russell Crowe in a critically acclaimed movie. So what makes Braddock's story so special? Well, in a word, perseverance. Braddock faced incredible odds more than once in his life, but he never gave in to despair, and in the end, his perseverance, born of his faith, secured his family's future. His story starts in 1905 when he was born in the Irish slum neighborhood of New York City known as Hell's Kitchen. His parents were both Irish Catholic immigrants, and they were poor. When he was still very young, they moved to North Bergen, New Jersey, which is right across the Hudson River from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. He would live in Jersey the rest of his life. He grew up, as you might expect for a boy in that time, pick up games of football and baseball, swimming in the Hudson, and lots of fistfights. One early ambition was to play football for Newt Rockney at Notre Dame. Right. We talked about Newt Rockney and Notre Dame in Episode 7 of this podcast. It's not surprising a young Irish Catholic tough guy would want to be part of that. <laughs> Seriously. But going to college wasn't in the cards for Braddock. Later in life, he self-deprecatingly said it was because he had more brawn than brains. So between football and fistfights, he had to go the fistfight route. Actually, one story that's told about him is that when he was 11, he knocked a classmate unconscious during one of the many schoolyard fistfights that he had. The sisters of the school where he went suggested to his father that maybe he'd had enough former schooling, and uh, he didn't go to school after that. Yeah. So he started working a series of manual labor jobs. As a teen, he started to train as an amateur boxer before going pro at 21 years old. By this point, he'd grown to a lithe six foot two, 180 pounds with a powerful right hand. He overwhelmed his first few dozen opponents, going 44-2-2 two two with 21 knockouts and some surprising victories against tough opponents. He made lots of money along the way and had it invested in the stock market. Because at the time, it was the Roaring Twenties, the stock market was doing really well and it was a safe bet. Right, for about another two years. In 1928, his rise faltered. He got a chance to fight for the title in 1928, but his opponent had studied his fighting style and managed to avoid Braddock's powerful right hand. Braddock narrowly dropped the bout in 15 rounds. What's worse, he badly fractured his right hand in the course of the fight. He fell into a bit of a depression after that loss, and since he never gave his hand sufficient time to heal, he went into a tailspin. He started losing fights. And when the stock market crashed in 1929, he lost all the money he'd previously earned, and his side businesses collapsed. So he was penniless, and his moneymaker, his right hand, was broken. People who'd only recently seen him as the next big thing in boxing began to write him off as washed up and done. But things weren't all bad. He got married to his sweetheart, May Fox, in 1930, and they had three children close together. Right. So he had the love of a family, but that also meant he had a family to support. And all he knew how to do was box. His hand, however, wasn't healing properly. The doctors told him that they would have to re-break the hand to set it properly, and the whole procedure would cost about $1,400. Well, he didn't have $1,400, but in 
but he knew how he could earn that money and re-break the hand for the doctors. Another boxing match. Right. He proposed taking another match and re-breaking the hand himself on his opponent's face so that the doctors would only have to set a freshly broken hand, not break it themselves. So that's what he did. Oh, I'm shuddering just thinking about that. Yeah, really. Uh, But even after the procedure and healing, his hand was still bothering him too badly to make money at boxing. So in 1933, since he had to find something to make money and support his family, he reluctantly hung up his gloves and walked away from boxing. During all of this time, he had been leaning heavily on the comfort he found in his Catholic faith, turning frequently to the priests at St. Joseph of the Palisades in New Jersey. The priests encouraged him to keep the faith. They assured him that God would give him strength to endure. But relief from the poverty didn't come quickly. In 1933, he had to swallow his pride and do something he never thought imaginable accept public assistance. He considered this a fall too far and vowed that he would repay every penny when he was able. It was also during this time that he became acquainted with the Catholic Worker Movement, founded in 1933 by Dorothy Day and Peter Morin. They ran soup kitchens and houses where anyone in need could find help. Braddock was moved by their work and found himself a recipient of their charity. So between government assistance and the support of the Catholic worker houses, the Braddocks were able to stay afloat. Yes, and Braddock didn't rely on handouts entirely. Hard work was too much a part of who he was. So every morning he walked to the docks there in North Bergen to look for a day work as a stevedore. Sometimes there wouldn't be any work on the Jersey side, so he'd have to walk into New York City. Some days there wasn't any work available at all. But on those days when he did find work, he worked hard. But he did have to use his left hand since his right hand hadn't healed. And all that time using his left hand and all that hard labor paid off in an unexpected way. Yes. In June 1934, nine months since his last fight, he was given another shot at boxing. An up-and-coming heavyweight boxer named Corn Griffin needed a fight to make a name for himself. Griffin was slated to be on the undercard for a fight between the heavyweight champion of the world, the huge Italian Primo Carnera, and his challenger, a Jewish Catholic farm boy from Nebraska, named Max Bear. Braddock's manager, Jim Gould, presented Braddock as an option for Griffin. Braddock may not have been in the ring in a while, but his name still meant something, so Griffin's handlers took up Gould's offer. They thought it would help Griffin's career to take down someone of Braddock's former stature. That's not exactly how things turned out. Uh, No. All those months of working the docks, walking 10-plus miles a day, letting his right hand heal, and lifting really heavy things with his left arm had helped make him lighter on his feet, allowed his right hand to heal fully, and made his left hand an equally effective weapon in the ring. Despite only training for two days, Braddock won by TKO in three rounds. Braddock signed on for two more fights against honest-to-goodness fighters and beat them both. Then he got the chance of a lifetime, a fight for the heavyweight title against Max Bear, who had defeated Carnera the night Braddock had upset Griffin. For this fight, he was given an advance of some of the purse he had coming, and he knew exactly what to do with the first $367 of it. He went straight to the New Jersey Emergency Relief Administration office and paid back to them every penny he had ever received. Right. He said he would, and he did. And he also donated to the Catholic Workers' Movement, something he would continue to do for the rest of his life. But soon it was back to training. Right. Braddock trained furiously in a secluded gym in upstate New York. Never mind he was a huge underdog, and everyone knew this was supposed to be a stepping stone match for Bear. Braddock had his shot, and he wouldn't let his family down. He knew that his opponent was a fierce fighter. Max Bear was called the Livermore Butcher Boy because he had inadvertently killed an opponent in the ring many years earlier. 
He had a temper when he was in the ring, and he packed a powerful punch. But on the other hand, Max Bear hadn't struggled with the depression. He didn't have a family he was struggling to feed. He had plenty of money. He was also brash and confident, and he didn't seem to realize the extra motivation that came from hunger and poverty and struggling to feed your children. So Bear barely prepared for the match. It's important to note that boxing at the time was the most popular sport in America. Professional football was in its infancy, and baseball hadn't become the national pastime just yet. So before the date of the fight, the story spread. The former rising star, the rags-to-riches-to-rags fighter who had given it all up to work to keep his family fed, he was getting another shot. And it was against an easy-to-dislike young buck. The nation, struggling through the Depression, needed a hero like James Braddock to show that it was still possible to get up off that mat and keep fighting. Everyone gathered around the radios to listen in. And on that night in June 1935, Max Baer entered the ring a 10-to-1 favorite. Braddock, the underdog, came out swinging. Both fighters landed blow after blow. Baer had never seen anyone absorb his punches and keep standing, as did Braddock. It went 15 brutal, grueling rounds. In the end, Braddock won in a unanimous decision. The recently impoverished, formerly washed-up, broken boxer was heavyweight champion of the world. The very next day, Damon Runyon, one of America's most important sports writers, wrote of the fight, quote, And so ends the fistic fairy tale, with the poor, abused hero finding his pumpkins of failure turned into prancing white steeds of glittering success and his feet encased in the glass slippers of happiness. So ends the strange story of James J. Braddock, the Cinderella Man of Fistiana. And the Cinderella Man moniker stuck. It did even becoming the name of the critically acclaimed 2005 movie directed by Ron Howard and starring Russell Crowe and Renee Zellweger. After defeating Bear, the Cinderella Man had a series of exhibition fights against lesser opponents over the next couple of years. In 1937, he agreed to fight the up-and-coming Joe Lewis. It would be his first defense of his title. Braddock's manager, Jim Gould, worked out a sweetheart deal with Lewis's people as part of this fight. Right. Gould and Braddock had to know that despite winning the title, Braddock's days as heavyweight champion and as a boxer were short. So Gould got Lewis to agree that Braddock would receive 10% of all of Lewis's future boxing earnings. Lewis defeated Braddock in eight rounds, and then Lewis went on to retain the heavyweight title for the next 12 years. So Braddock made out pretty well in that deal. He was able to buy his family their own home and guarantee a secure future for his wife and kids. Braddock only fought one more time, defeating the Brit Tommy Farr in January of 1938. He retired for good after that victory, going out on a high note. When World War II broke out, Braddock enlisted in the U.S. Army and became a lieutenant. His role, of course, was training soldiers in hand-to-hand combat. Well, yeah, he may have made his name in the ring, but there are rules and you wear gloves but he cut his teeth as a bare-knuckles brawler from his earliest days. He was well-suited to the task. After the war, he went back to what he'd been investing his money in, heavy construction equipment. In his retirement, he would use his equipment at various construction sites all over the New York and New Jersey area and even help to construct the Verrazano Narrows Bridge, which connects Staten Island to Brooklyn. When it was completed, it was the longest suspension bridge in the world, At some point along the way, he became a Knight of Columbus and gave generously to Catholic causes like the Catholic Worker Movement. James Braddock's Cinderella story came to an end on November 29, 1974, 
and he died peacefully in his sleep at 69 years old. But his story of love, gratitude, and perseverance will never die. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please be sure to give us a rating and a review. To learn more about today's topic, to find previous episodes, and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com history. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on social media at facebook.com slash American Catholic History or follow StarQuest on Twitter at sqpn. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest. Quest.